This is Nicole Deffenbaugh. If you are enjoying the podcast, we invite you to tell your friends and family and like us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast. I was just going about my normal Monday, um, just had finished a team meeting, was going to pack up my bags, getting ready to go, um, and one of my coworkers actually stopped me and asked me, you know, have you heard this news? I have some pretty, I have some pretty bad news to share. And I kind of just looked at her, was just like, you know, what, what happened? What's going on? And she asked me if I heard about, you know, patient A. Um, I have several patients with that first name, so I had to, you know, have her clarify who she meant. Um, and she mentioned patient AB. Did you know he passed away from an overdose? And I was in disbelief the moment she told me. I didn't even have words to kind of share with her. I just started almost crying and asked her, you know, what happened? Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. In this podcast, we invite clinicians, patients, healthcare professionals, and loved ones to share their stories along with tips and insights for how we might navigate the U.S. healthcare system. I'm Nicole Deffenbaugh, Health Communications Scholar and Clinical Communications Specialist, and I'm joined today by Dr. Maggie, a family medicine physician who's going to be talking about addiction, which is an important topic this time of year during the holidays. So welcome, Maggie. Thank you for having me. So what happened next after you uh, heard heard the news about your patient? All right. So kind of as I was saying, I was like, you know, what happened? I was in such disbelief, like I could not accept it right away. I had to figure, I had to know what happened to him. Um, so she essentially told me that he was, you know, doing really well, you know, hadn't used any drugs in maybe two years or so and wanted to actually help a friend by taking him in um, into his home um, because his friend was homeless and to help him out, try to get him treatment for, you know, his addiction and whatnot, just trying to put him in the right path and ended up starting and ended up actually using again, just seeing his friend every day, shooting heroin in front of him. Um, he started getting tempted again to use and he started using and ended up overdosing one night um, in a public area. So had AB been clean for a while? For I think almost two years. Um, I met him less than a year ago um, and he was actually coming to our clinic um, as a new patient at that time. And I was kind of the first doctor he met. Uh, we bonded very, very quickly. Um, I met, I saw him, you know, the initial visit where we went over his history. He was already, you know, not using for a extended period of time already and just wanted to get his life back on track. He was telling me about he how he loved his family. He wanted to develop those relationships again. He was, you know, going out and doing um, things in the in the community to kind of help raise awareness for for drug abuse and for treatment. Um, so he was definitely a very strong advocate already, and he was doing it mainly to help others and to help his family. 
Um, and the moment that we had met, we developed, like I said, developed a strong connection and he wanted to kind of, can, can you see me? He actually asked me to be his, his doctor after the second time. Um, unfortunately, just due to our schedules, um, I didn't see him for too many visits afterwards, but he was always uh, a patient that I asked my coworkers about just to make sure he's doing okay. Um, and funny enough, I was actually going to ask one of my coworkers that earlier that day to see how he was doing. But in my mind, he's had always, I've always heard great things about what he's doing for the community and whatnot that I assumed um, that he was going to be doing fine. So I actually didn't ask my coworker about him earlier. Um, and it was just so happened later that day, um, another coworker of mine told me about his death. So how did that affect you to hear that somebody you you know, gotten to know a patient, he had been doing so well? What was that like when you heard the news? The first thing I guess I thought about was, what could have we done better for him to help him? Now, I know that he wanted to help his friend. That was like, these are things that we cannot control. Like, you know, he's a great person. He wanted to help a friend out. But what could have we, what could have we done as, I guess, a clinic to in, I guess, invite him to share what's going on, some of the struggles uh, that he's dealing with currently and not, uh, I guess, keep it to himself or be afraid or I don't know what it was. Why I don't know why he didn't tell us, but there had to be something that we were maybe not doing or we were, we were doing that caused him to kind of keep these things to himself. I don't know. When you had him as a patient, did you feel that he opened up to you and told you about how he was doing? I thought so. I mean, like I said, I met him and I met him initially when he came as a new patient to the clinic and he was always willing to share. Um, he talked a lot about who he was, what he did, was not ashamed of telling me about anything that happened because he was also very proud of how far he, he's come. Um, but so I guess that's why I never imagined him not sharing such troubles, um, was just because he's always, he had always been very, um, I guess, vocal about what's going on. Um, was uh, Do you have other patients that you treat that have addiction? Yes. Um, we actually have a... We are, our clinic actually partakes of medication-assisted treatment programs for people with alcohol and drug um, addiction. So we do see a fair amount of patients um, who we are treating. So what is it about patient uh, AB? I'm assuming those are made-up acronym um, that stands out for you. He was actually one of my first, I would say one of my first patients that I had treated with uh, medication-assisted treatment. Um, it was something new in my kind of curriculum at my clinic for me, you know, residents to kind of try out and see. And when I had met him, he had just been doing so well that I was just, I had such a positive outlook of what 
treatment can be like uh, for someone. Um, and every time someone would tell me about him, they would always be such on a positive note that he's doing such great things that in my mind, he was almost like the poster child for what, you know, what, um, you know, treatment can be like for, you know, for someone who's just, who wants to get better. Um, so I guess that was kind of what, why this person stood out to me in particular. Yeah. Do you know anything else about um, what had happened other than he was helping someone else who was going through addiction at the time? Um, does anyone at the clinic know anything about what else was, was going on? I mean, I don't know. Um, I think for myself, since this information is so new, it's just like four days ago that I found out. I'm still trying to kind of process his death myself that I have not talked to other people who might have interacted with him. Um, my coworker, my coworkers that I did talk to, they had no idea. They said that every time he came in, he was always just very, very uplifting, upbeat. So it just was something that shocked at least the people that I've talked to. Because yeah. it sounds to me, um, you know, that there's, it's, it's complex, right? And so we have an opioid addiction mm -hmm. in the U.S. and there are lots of uh, programs and assistance. You see all kinds of ads, um, information in the news about treating this addiction because it's so rampant. There's so much of it. Um, it sounds like, though, having worked with patients one-on-one, -on -one, and seeing the progress that an individual has made, um, but also recognizing sort of the complexity and the mm -hmm. nuances of, of getting treatment. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems like it's, it's, you've learned a lot about um, sort of the, the challenges involved with this addiction, that it's not as simple as just seeking treatment. Right, no, I mean, we always encourage our patients to be a you know, part of some counseling, to be getting therapy, to be part of treatment groups, essentially, to kind of help them um, along with the medication, um, getting some other sort of um, non-prescription form of like um, treatment as well, whether it's like outpatient treatments with counselors, with psychiatrists, with whoever it may be. But because we know it's so complex, it's not just about the drug of choice of that particular patient. Um, there's a lot of under not underlying trauma that has happened as well. So we definitely want as part of their journey for them to be involved um, with such people, with such programs and such. Um, we always talk to them about how this journey is going to be tough. Um, just kind of preface it when they come in for their initial intake, um, not trying to pass judgment that they're going to be the one doing it, but just trying to, in general, say that this is a very, you know, this journey can be something that you can struggle through. There are ups and downs. Um, you might have very high moments. You might have very low moments. And we want you to know that we'll be there for you if, you know, you are having those very low moments. Um, but it has to be something that we're constantly communicating about as well. So I'm 
for my patient, I just wasn't sure, you know, if he had been to our clinic so much that we stopped emphasizing that. And we just kept applauding him for how well he was doing, congratulating him that we were letting him down by not uh, reminding him that it is a tough journey and that, you know, we're there for him as well. So I can't help but think as I as I listen to the talk that you give the patients about how challenging the journey is and the ups and downs, do you get the same talk as a clinician? You know, what what conversation did you get about treating addiction? Hey, just to let you know, it's going to be a long journey. There's going to be ups and downs. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? You know, because I've heard from others that treating addiction is not the same as treating other illnesses, recognizing that it's different. And so how prepared are, you know, is our clinical um, team, you know, our, our U.S. healthcare system in really addressing treatment of addiction for clinicians who are treating those with addiction, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I wondered if you could speak to that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's been a little while since, um, it's probably been almost almost a year since I've been participating in this, in this program um, as a resident, and I definitely did not expect this. Um, I think when I had first gone into... I guess, seeing patients and treating them for their addictions, I thought that maybe, you know, hey, you know, give them some medicine, it will help them get through their cravings, their urges, the next time they'll come, we'll maybe tweak it a little bit, but it'll be a pretty quick and easy journey, but definitely it is not like that at all. Um, oftentimes, patients don't show up, and we don't know why. Um, you know, we don't want to assume that they're using again, but that's definitely something that does cross our mind. Um, we worry about kind of how their environment is like, who they're hanging around with, um, are they safe? Um, so it's definitely something that I don't think we knew a lot about going into it, but we thought that it'd be... I don't know, we, we, we want to do better for the community. So that's something that, I guess, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this, but not knowing kind of what is involved, the emotions that are involved as clinicians, the relationships that we develop with our patients um, who are kind of going through this journey. I don't think that we've expected, um, I guess, certain things to, to go the way that they did. And so we're constantly learning um kind of things to kind of expect and how to handle things. And luckily for me, I have great coworkers where I can kind of, I guess, um, talk to and go over what I'm feeling um, so that they can help me process. Some people who are more experienced than I am um, can help me process what I'm feeling. So So what, uh, I, there's a question on my mind I'm wanting to ask, and that is, you know, if patient AB had come in and said, you know, Dr. Maggie, I've slipped. I, I've had a really tough time. I'm trying to help this person with their addiction, um, but I'm using again. What would you have been your response? I would have been like, that's okay. It happens. I would not have 
I would definitely would not have wanted him to make. I would not have wanted him、um, to feel like I was disappointed in him, and I wouldn't want him to feel more because I feel like they're already ashamed of what you know they've done, and I wouldn't want them to feel worse about it. So I would want them to feel that they know、um, that I understand it happens, and that. What can we do moving forward now? How can I? What can I do to help you? How to get back on that track that you were on? And I think the fact that you're mentioning shame,、um, there's so many stereotypes,、um, biases, judgments about individuals who、um, are addicted, whether to alcohol or medication.、Um, and so the fact that you're able to say, "I recognize that I carry certain biases," like you had said, if they don't show up. You might be thinking, are they using again?、Right, but recognizing、yeah. there are other reasons too, right. right? So, what would you say to people who are listening,、um, who might be suffering?、Um, I should say, living through、um, having an addiction, but are reluctant to to seek help. And part of that reluctance is that they think that they're going to be stereotyped and judged for what it is that they're doing. I mean, I don't. Want to say that every patient is going to have the same exact experience with clinicians, but I will say that clinicians,、um, as clinicians, we want to help.、Uh, we want to build,、um, you know, a better community. We want to help individuals. We want to help people through difficult times.、Um, And we want them to know that they're coming into a safe place where they can open up, they can share that it's private, and that、um, whatever they are going through, we will try our very best to kind of help you find some solution or give you some advice to kind of get through it,、um, whether it is addiction or some other type of social issue or you know chronic health problems or anything like that.、Um, To feel that they are also not the only ones going through that,、um, they, you know, I think that some patients might feel like they're alone.、Um, so sometimes I do like to share with patients that, you know, that I've seen many people with going through the same things that they might be going through,、um, and how they've improved or turned around. So I think sharing such Stories with them kind of gives them a little bit more hope as well that this can be something that they can have.、Um, but I don't want them to be. I don't want patients who are going through addictions or any sort of health issues to feel like they can't talk to a clinician to be too afraid.、Um, because, like I said, we want to help. We really, really want to help, and、um, we are not here to pass judgment. On who you are or what you're doing, we just want to make sure you're getting better. Which is great because、yeah. one of the questions I was actually going to ask you, which on my list was, what advice would you offer clinicians? And so I'd love for you to add on.、Um, I'm already. I've heard you say being open,、um, being aware of your biases and judgments,、um, letting it, patients know that they're not alone,、um, listening.、Mm-hmm. What else would you add to that, or what else have I forgotten? Advice to clinicians working with with patients、yeah. with addiction. 
Yeah, I mean, I think in addition to what you had mentioned, I think body language is something that clinicians can maybe pay more attention to because I think it's one thing to say all these things or whatnot, but to actually appear as if you want to help, to be sitting, you know, directly in front of a patient, to not be constantly on your laptop, um, you know, making eye contact is such um I think a big thing that can build rapport with patients and let them know that you're actually paying attention to them, paying attention to their story. Um, so definitely, in addition to all those things that you had just mentioned, sh- uh, presenting yourself um, in a way that is also inviting is very, very important. You know, I always walk in there with a smile. Um, I always shake their hands. I always sit right across from them and I always ask them, is this an okay distance for you? Um, and I rarely ever uh, type anything or write anything. Um, if I do, I always tell them that I'm writing something down so that I don't forget it for myself, but to let them know that I'm fully present to listen to them and that I'm here to help them. And I also know that you work with uh, patients from a myriad of, of backgrounds, racial, ethnic, mm-hmm. language differences. Is that Yes, um, I work with mostly Latino population, um, but we also have a large um, population refugees as well. So we have refugee clinic and we have patients pretty much from all over the country <laughs> that come and uh, uh, to our clinic as well for, for treatment and just for, I guess, health checks and stuff. Great. So, so adding on from before, also recognizing the complexity of addiction treatment. Um, and I heard you say, I'm remembering now about the comment about um, the emotional support that you've received. So it sounds like that's also important for clinicians, not just the support that you give to the patients, but also the support you receive yourself. Yes, no, for sure. Luckily, I'm, you know, like I said, that I'm surrounded by people who really care about my well-being as well and making sure that I'm not holding in um, too many, especially negative emotions. Um, I do tend to do that. And since I've been a resident here, I feel that I've been given more tools to help me open up as an individual. So I'm not harboring a lot of negative thoughts and negative feelings that unfortunately, for me at least, sometimes can stick around for months at a time. Um, So you know, thank goodness for the people that I can, you know, kind of lean on um, for for that support. Um, because for sure, if months ago or even years ago, if this had been a story that um, I heard and wasn't able to at least talk to a few people about, um, I probably would have been just not not a good place for a little while. Yeah. So you were okay reaching out to people. disclosing how you felt, um, being vulnerable, I guess. And I think, yeah, and I think that's also very important for clinicians to know as well as especially dealing, you know, interacting with patients in this type of population. You never, it's very, like everything that happened can be very unexpected. Um, So it's good that you have people that you can depend on and they can depend on you, you can depend on them to kind of get through this journey together. Um, and I think that's one thing, another thing that I guess I will share for clinicians as well as just to 
understand that you're also not alone. You know, the patient under, can understand that they're not alone, but, you know, as clinicians, we also have to understand that we're not alone, that there are people around us who want us to be well as well. So it takes a community to treat a patient, but also a community to support a, a clinician. For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, so going back to the patient side, so for the rest of us, you know, addiction is uh, very common. It, it is it's not discriminated against age, race, socioeconomic background, religion, etc. And so I appreciate that you brought this topic today because mm-hmm. I know that this is something that affects many people. One of the things I've heard people say is, I never knew. I never knew that my friend so-and-so was addicted, you know, and sadly it often comes in a tragic moment that the, the people around them find out. I've also heard people say, I never knew my daughter or I never knew my son had an addiction. And thinking about your story, not only how it's applicable to clinicians, but for the rest of us listening, what are some things that you learned about just communicating with someone with an addiction trying to understand them, encouraging them to open up. What are some some tips or tactics that you've used that might be helpful for, for the rest of us? Yeah. I mean, I normally don't push patients. I let them tell me what they want to tell me. And this isn't just go for addiction, but, you know, patients who are also going through other, you know, um, issues with like depressions or anything like that is like I let them tell me when they're ready to tell me and I tell them that too. So what what, do you, what exactly do you say? I usually say, you know, um, I understand that you're coming in for this or that you're feeling this way. Um, when you're ready, I'm here to listen to you. When, you know, when you're ready to share with me, I'm here to listen to you. If now is not the right moment, maybe it can be next time, but I just want you to let but I just want to let you know that, you know, I'm here for you. I want to help you. Um, so when you're ready, I'll be ready. Okay. Yeah. What kind of statements do you make? Because you had mentioned about the bias and judgment. So what kind of statements do you make to let them know I, I'm, I'm, I'm being open? I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental. There are things that you say um, to encourage and invite them. I, I guess I try to always remind patients that they're in a safe and non-judgmental place. And I think that that can go very far. Um, like I said, it kind of ties in with your body language too. So even though you're saying it's a safe and non-judgmental place, but if you're positioning yourself by the door, like you're about to run away, just in case the patient does anything, you know, you're not really, um, really portraying what you really mean, or you're not saying what you really mean. So I think that for me, at least, I always say that this is a safe, non-judgmental place and that we're here to help you. And if you ever feel like there is something that happens, to let me know and I will address it as well so that they don't feel like they just because, you know, this clinician's okay if they meet anyone, you know, even if it's another patient in the in the same clinic um, who is doing something, you know, we would have to do something to kind of help um make this patient feel like they're safe and that they're willing to come back um, to us again. Yeah. 
So safety is important, non-judgmental, listening. Mm-hmm. I've seen you listen to patients. <laughs> it's, it's quite it's quite wonderful to watch. I'm always behind on my notes because yeah. I'm just listening. Because <laughs> you're listening. Yeah. I'm just listening, yeah. <laughs> but there's so much to be said for that, especially when, you know, medicine doesn't always feel like a safe place. No. You know, myself and, and others who have been patients within this system really get stuck in in feeling like we can't talk because we're going to be judged or we can't say what's really happening or what we're really on because of the comments that we're afraid. And I've seen you lean in and move your chair closer um, to, to be near the person and just to be present and to resist the temptation to fill the space in and just to physically be there mm-hmm. and just listening can really can really go far um, and I think there's a lot to be said for that um, I think uh, I've seen uh, some individuals try to fill in the space try to give explanations try to treat before they've really listened to the whole story yeah no like I said I tried just like listening is such key like such a key thing for me it's I don't even know what I'll be treating if I don't listen, you know, to the patient. So I have to listen first, you know, before I do, I do anything. Um, and the patients feel it too. They know, they know when you're not listening. They know when you're busy doing something else or that, you know, you'd rather be with an, you know, that you have to move on to another patient, even busy schedule. Like they, they understand that, you know, clinicians are busy, but if you, if they feel like you are there present for them and listening to them, um, it just makes such a difference between in building the rapport with the patient, them wanting to come back to you the next time, um, in trusting you as their, as their um, clinician. So I try my best to do that every time with my patients. So we're getting near the end, and I want to ask you sort of to, to look in the future. Um, so you've had this uh, experience that's recently um, occurred that's really affected you. Um, is there anything you're going to change in the future, the way that you um, treat your patients, the way that you um, address this for yourself? So anything you're going to do the same or that you're going to do differently moving forward? And. And I kind of had mentioned this before with that patient who passed, but to also remind patients that this journey has plenty of ups and downs. Um, Even if they're months and months and months into their journey, even years into their journey to understand, to let them know that we understand it's complicated and that, you know, there might be times where it's more difficult um, to resist, you know, their addiction. Um, not necessarily to assume that they're doing it, anything, you know, you know, anything out, what, anything outside the clinic, but just to remind them that we understand that this is part of the journey and that if there's anything going on, um, that we would, um, be there for them. Cause I think, as often as you can call to be like, hey, how you're doing, you know, is anything going on, but not remind them that it is a kind of a complicated journey. Um, they might be less inclined to share what's really going on. Um, because if you're only going to them saying, good job, great job, you're doing so well, you know, A+. Um, they might, 
feel less obligated. Oh, they might feel um, more closed off when things really do. Well, I guess when shit really does hit the fan. <laughs> um, and then, you know, come back to you as like a big surprise. But it might just be because we never gave them the opportunity to, to share with us again. Because we just assumed that everything was okay. I've heard people say, you know, just like many other illnesses, addiction is chronic, mm-hmm. you know, to, to not think of it as there's a start and an end point, but to really treat it as a chronic illness, to recognize that um, the individual lives with this um, potentially for years or a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And when you're treating chronic illness, you're, you're really looking at sort of the lifespan or a, a longer spectrum, right, of treatment. Um, and to recognize that there's going to be really challenging parts and, and easier parts. So um, what uh, what support can people look for? Do you know of uh, resources that people can can check out or things that they can, can look for, like family members or patients? I mean, I definitely, I mean, Google's everyone's best friend. <laughs> uh, but you can definitely Google either like, NA or AA programs around um, those I've heard for the most part have been very, very supportive. Um, some of our patients don't prefer going to them because they feel like maybe they've are exposed to um, individuals who have certain addictions similar to them. So they want to be in an area where they're not um, or in a group where they're not or more in one on one groups. Um, and what, I'm sorry, what is NA and AA? Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcohol Anonymous. So these are definitely support groups that they can be a part of. Um, their clinicians do definitely know of different rehab programs um, that patients can be a part of. Um, so I definitely would say that if even if the patient um, or the, in, the person that you know who has this addiction doesn't want to get treatment, but you want to help in some sort of way. And when the time comes, your family member, your friend is interested in this, you know, information, you can go to your own doctor and say that you're asking for a friend of yours, a family member of yours, um, just to kind of have that information sitting around. Um, It's good for kind of anyone to kind of know. So in case you have you do end up finding out like a friend of yours or a family member of yours is going through something you can kind of give them a list of resources that they can they can go to do family members and friends go to na and aa themselves they do they can yeah they can de- they definitely can go with them as like um extra support Well, we are just about time, so I want to thank you so much, Dr. Maggie, for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So thank you for sharing your story about your patient and uh, insights that you have for all of us um, about how to recognize and treat addiction um, for ourselves, uh, loved ones, and patients. So thank you to the listener for listening today. This is Health Stories.